You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hello and welcome to Blabbermouth. It's Wednesday, November 7th, uh, the day after the midterm elections in the United States. I'm Rich Smith and I am basically alone in a room. Uh, Dan and Eli are uh, on vacation or traveling, but that didn't stop me from talking with them on the show. First, we do a midterm mayhem roundup with Eli, who uh, phones in from sunny Buenos Aires. Then we break down what it all means with Dan Savage, who was phoning in from uh, the Delta Lounge at SeaTac Airport. Uh, and then we talk about, in the third segment, the tragedy of the death of a kingster. We're joined by a stranger um, print editor, Christopher Frizzell, and Chase Burns uh, to talk about about the way that the BDSM community and the key community has been portrayed in the media and how the story shines a light on that. And Nancy said it's okay to tell you that there's some beeping in the background of that conversation and it's all her fault. But first, the midterms with Eli in Argentina. Eli, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here from uh, far, far away. Are you like uh, sipping a, a, a slushy rum drink on a balcony looking at the sunrise <laughs> over Buenos Aires? Uh, I am in Buenos Aires. I got to come down here tagging along with my husband who has a conference down here. So it's a really lucky thing, but also like a weird thing to be gone for the election. And a very late night for me last night watching the U.S. election return because of time difference, and now we're it's kind of early afternoon, so no, no slushy rum drink, um, but, you know, I just walked back to uh, a place to call you from and past the square where people were doing tango and there's tango music out the window, and, uh, you know, a nice afternoon here. It, but let's talk about the election. Yeah, let's talk about the election. I'm alone in this podcast room staring at a tree that's dying, but the... <laughs> I know. Isn't it just like uh, a Gen Xer and a Boomer Dan to both leave you at the moment when uh, the biggest thing is happening, the thing that we've been talking about forever? And now we both uh, jetted out of town. Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. I'm completely resilient. I uh, can do it uh, on my own with the help, of course, of Nancy uh, and the other people who will be joining me on the podcast later. But uh, we're burying the lead here. Big news. The House took the uh, – or the Democrats took the House. Uh, air horn, alarm bells. Woo, woo. There's going to be a check <laughs> on the president, right? Uh, <laughs> what was your take on the House win last yeah. night? Was it a wave? Uh, was it a, a ripple? Was it uh, meaningful? I think all the focus on you know exactly how big the wave was, whether it's a rainbow wave, whether it's a disappointing, piddling little wave, it's a little – beside the point. All the Democrats needed to do was win one seat that was enough to give them a majority in the House, and the entire game in Washington, D.C. and in the United States changes. All they needed was the majority, and then they get the speaker's gavel, and they get control of all the committees, and they get subpoena power, and they get the power to censure people, and they get the power to run impeachment proceedings not just potentially against President Trump, but against some of the crazy judges that he's installed uh, on the bench all throughout the federal court system. I don't think people who I can see online, you know, kind of wringing their hands about whether this was a big enough victory, I don't think these people 
are focusing enough on how big a fucking deal it is that the Democrats took control of the House. Just imagine the converse. Imagine if... No, 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 I don't want to do that. Stop. (laughs) I'm already having mixed feelings about um, uh, what what happened last night. And I can't imagine that uh, Donald Trump with um, uh, a a jackbooted squad of Republicans taking over um, or retaining their hold of the Republicans. But let's talk a little bit about the breakdown of that win. Um, So 100 women are going to go into Congress. Uh, That's not half. Right. uh, The most. ever sent to Congress in any election. Right, exactly. And there's been some diverse choices among those women. The two first Muslim um, women elected to Congress were elected to Congress last night. The two first Native American women uh, were elected to Congress. Uh, Deb Holland in New Mexico and Sharice Davis in uh, Kansas. The first black women woman ever to represent Massachusetts in the Congress was elected. This is pretty decent news, right? Yeah, and you left something out. I believe that Sharif Davis in Kansas is the first kickboxer elected to Congress. <laughs> I might be wrong. I, but, I think that's right. She is, she is the first Native American and first kickboxer. And you got to watch her like uh, gifts and videos in victory. She is badass. Uh, she's awesome. Were there any upsets last night um, in the House for you? Upsets in the House. Well, I, you know, there's a lot to track, I guess, upset, something that upset me was that uh, Steve King, the Republican white nationalist, white and racist held on in Iowa. And, um, you know, some Republicans who I'd hoped would get washed away held on to their seats, but also in other states, I think in in Texas in particular, on the coattails of Beto, you had some Republicans who were expected to hang on getting washed away by the Democratic wave. So it, there's hundreds of seats in the House, and I don't have my uh, finger on every single one of them, but it, it's nice to see so many Republicans falling, especially uh, former chairman of committees who are now gone and will be replaced, like I said, by Democrats who will have this tough choice now about how hard to go on you know, issuing subpoenas, um, pushing for impeachment or not, and investigating, investigating, investigating. Right. Okay. Let's talk. Let's jump over to the Senate, uh, where the Democrats did not do so well. Uh, it looks like the GOP is poised to gain more than four, uh, maybe about four seats, bringing their total, uh, their majority, up to fifty-five. Um, do you want to talk about the big upsets first? <laughs> Well, so, yes, and again, I'm just going to talk about what upset me, I guess. I I don't know if they're upset exactly, because the Republicans had a structural advantage here in all the Senate races, and Democrats are going to have a hard time just hanging on to their seats, much less winning a majority in the Senate. But upsetting is that Senator Claire McCaskill, longtime Democratic senator in Missouri, Lost, and Senator Heidi Heitkamp in uh, North Dakota, another Democratic senator, lost. And both of those senators voted against Kavanaugh. They took tough votes against the confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh. And I I think, well, I don't think, I know because it's already happening, um, this is going to be wrapped into a narrative of what Senator Lindsey Graham is now calling Kavanaugh's revenge. Oh, God. that, That Democratic senators who dared to vote against Kavanaugh are going down. And Trump's going to grab onto that narrative, but I think he's also going to grab onto 
the candidates who I stumped for did really well. In fact, he just said that at a press conference and I think in a tweet. So what he's doing a victory dance about is, you know, he, he had what, like 50 rallies before the election day. And most of those were in states with Senate contests. He was focused on running up the Republican total in the Senate. And so, you know, you can look at Florida where he was with, I think, Sean Hannity on the stage and the Democratic senators having a hard time holding on there. Or you can look at uh, Montana and Senator Tester, who stood up to Trump, remember, when Trump wanted to put his personal White House doctor in charge of the VA, and then he had all kinds of troubles, and Tester basically blocked him. And Trump visited Montana four or maybe five times to try to get revenge on Tester and kick him out. And Tester is in trouble. We'll see. He may pull it out, but if he loses, expect another extended Trump victory dance around that. And then I have something for you to talk to Dan, Senate race-wise, which I think will um, uh, detonate a bit of a Dan explosion today. So in Arizona, the Democrat is losing also in the Senate race. And the Green Party candidate, the Green Party candidate who dropped out of the race a couple weeks before the election to say, you know, this is the only way I could make a real difference. I'm not sure what the logic was there, but that Green Party candidate is getting more than twice the amount of votes that separate the Republican from the Democrat. In other words, the Republicans lead in Arizona Senate race is smaller than the number of votes that the Green Party candidate who dropped out got. The Green Party candidate spoiled the Democratic chances of victory in the Senate race in Arizona. And I cannot wait to hear what Dan has to say about that. I can already feel his rage bubbling over. I would just point out that, you know, to complicate Lindsey Graham's Kavanaugh's revenge theory, Joe Manchin um, uh, voted to confirm Kavanaugh too, right? But he won his spot in um, in West Virginia in the well, Senate. Well, that actually proves Trump's theory, right? Because Joe Manchin did what Chester didn't, what Heidkamp didn't. Oh, God, that's right, didn't. yeah. McCaskill, Chester, Heidkamp, they all voted against uh, Kavanaugh. Manchin, uh, to you know, the great upset of everyone on Blabbermouth that the week after, he voted for Kavanaugh and he won. So expect, you know, Trump and Lindsey Graham to say, see, if the Democrats wanted to hold on to seats, they should have been like Joe Manchin. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking to um, uh, about other disappointments, we had, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the governor's race in um, Georgia and um, Florida. Uh, Andrew Gillum uh, conceded to DeSantis last night, and uh, it's still a, a tight race. Or uh, Abrams is still holding on against Brian Kemp in um, Georgia, uh, but it's looking like she might go down as well. Um yeah. One thing about the Florida race. So here's another way in which this election is just this really intensely mixed bag of results. So it's so disappointing that Andrew Gillum has lost the governor's race in Florida. He could have been the first African-American governor in Florida. We were talking last, on last week's show about how good he was at fighting Trumpism verbally um, in debates and on the stump. And he's lost by a very small margin. But also... Last night, Florida voters approved a measure that will restore voting rights to more, well over a million former um, felons or convicted felons who have served their time and are now out of prison in Florida. So if those 
uh, people tend to vote Democratic, which is everyone's assumption, you know, travel backwards in time and have this have happened before the Gillum race, he might have won, or travel forward in time to 2020, that could really affect the Democrats' chances then. And just to give you a sense of the scale of the um, victory from this initiative for voting rights, the fact that Florida voters approved this measure, restoring voting rights to felons, means that 40% of African-American men in Florida have just gotten the right to vote back. Wow. That's what this kind of disenfranchisement looked like. 40% of African-American male voters in Florida were not allowed to vote before this victory on the measure to give felons, former felons voting rights. So there's some hope that Florida is not going to give us a heart attack uh, <laughs> in every single election going uh, uh, forward now. Some no, hope if those voters No, I think we should count on Florida always giving us a heart attack. Seems committed to that. Okay, well, there's tons of more uh, stuff to talk to, but um, uh, I, I want to call Dan before he goes under a tunnel or something <laughs> uh, in a All train. Right. Um, I, and I don't want to cut into uh, your vacation in uh, Buenos Aires uh, <laughs> too too deeply. But thanks for um, uh, talking to me in my moment of need uh, here about uh, the midterms. I'm here for you, Rich, even when I'm on another continent. <laughs> thanks, Eli. Do you ever get the perfect holiday car from somebody else and then wish you had even an ounce of the time or creativity to do the same thing for them in return? This holiday season, you can with a service called Minted.com. I just recently used this service, and I'm excited uh, about it. I sent Eli an extremely early Hanukkah card because we're both Jewish, and I'm funny like that. I simply picked a photo of me eating candles on a menorah and texted it to cards. That's 22737. Minted texted me right back with some simple questions about what kind of card I wanted to send him. I ended up picking a card that said love and light on it because in the photo I'm literally eating light. It was super Super easy and hilarious, and I loved it. Minted.com is the only place to get truly unique uh, holiday cards uh, by simply texting them a picture from your phone. This is not off the shelf, one size fits all stuff. They look like no other kinds of holiday cards you've ever seen. Uh, all the designs are created by independent artists and voted on by thousands of tastemakers, giving you the very best in independent design. Text a photo to cards. 22737 and Minted's stylists will text you back with five hand-selected designs showing your photo for you to choose from for free. You get free custom envelopes and free recipient addressing in a variety of matching designs and hand-styled fonts and all orders are 100% guaranteed. Just text your photo to cards 22737. New customers will get 20% off but only through November 30th. Text your photo to 22737 before November 30th and get 20% off your first purchase. Get started right now. Text your picture to 22737 and get your card. Hello, Dan. Um, uh, welcome uh, back to Blabbermouth. So I understand that you're on a you're on a train somewhere to the. Uh, no, I'm at the airport getting ready to board a plane. I am coming to you live from the Delta Lounge at SeaTac Airport. Very nice. Are you drinking a $12 vodka tonic on this fine, uh, crisp morning? <laughs> no, I'm having some black tea. All I ever have. That sounds... All I ever need. <laughs> 
That sounds lovely. Well, I don't know if you saw last night, but the Democrats went back to House. I did see that, and I'm very psyched about that. Of course, disappointed that, you know, Gillum, because of voter suppression, uh, I believe, lost in Florida, and uh, Stacey Abrams looks like she's going into a runoff because of voter suppression in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, it's just criminal, but it's a huge deal that we won the House. Uh, and so I am psyched, officially psyched. Um, does this mean that democracy is restored? <laughs> no, this is just the beginning of the long march to restore democracy. There was lots of good, uh, you know, recreational po- legislation passed in Michigan, uh, reforms passed in Michigan um, to make their elections fair. Uh, you know, anywhere there's a progressive anything on the ballot, it seemed to pass, even in shitty places like Florida, which, which re-enfranchised 1.5 million felons, mm-hmm. uh, restoring their right to vote uh, in the next election. You know, 2020, those 1.5 million new voters, if we can make them all into voters, will come in handy. Um, and we saw just tremendous gains for LGBT uh, candidates uh, all across the country, turfing out anti-LGBT, uh, high-profile anti-LGBT assholes in state legislatures, and the election in Colorado of the first only gay governor, which is in the re-election in Oregon of the first openly by governor um, who got it, you know, became governor in Oregon. And I'm spacing on her name because I'm biphobic like that, but became governor in uh, Oregon when their previous governor, who's a straight guy, whose name I also don't remember because I'm heterophobic like that, um, was turfed out for corruption. Um, and she was elected in her own right now as an out by, uh, you know, politician, out by governor. Uh, and these are these are terrifically heartening results, uh, particularly for queers, uh, and a really good sign uh, going into 2020. Yeah. Um, well, I was talking with uh, Eli, who was not enjoying a rum drink from a balcony in Buenos Aires, and he wanted me to uh, pass along a little information to you, which was that um, a Green Party candidate spoiled the Senate race for Kristen Sinema, uh, the Dem running for uh, Senate in Arizona. And uh, how did you mm-hmm. feel about that? Well, the Greens are everywhere uh, a tool of the right, a tool of the Republican Party, as I like to call them, the gang Greens. Yeah. They are contributing to the rot that is destroying our democracy. And it is not that they are just mates and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Everywhere uh, you flip over Green Party rocks, you find Republican money financing Green candidates and Green campaigns. Yeah. Um, they're complicit. Uh, and I don't know what the hell their issue is. I don't know why any liberal or progressive uh, even who might be inclined to vote for an actual Green Party in a, you know, in a nation that actually has a functioning Green Party, like Germany, would vote for a Green in the United States, where Greens are Republicans in drag, in yeah. progressive drag, and not very good progressive drag. Yeah. And they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> Did any clear uh, message uh, come out of uh, of last night? I mean, you know, going into the midterms, we were all talking about how this was going to be a big referendum on Trump. And I think that that expectation made this um, the Republicans making gains in the Senate and the uh, Democrats taking the House result wash over people in a weird way. Um, was there a clear message uh, about the midterms that came out of the midterms from you last night? Unfortunately, I think the message for the, the Republican right is that racist demagoguery works. Yeah, um, It looked uh, until Trump went full racist demagoguery about the caravan and immigration and other issues that you might see what you usually see in the midterm, which is the party in power sort of stays home and is a little demoralized, and the party out of power is energized to, to go to the polls. 
Um, and what we saw when Trump started, you know, cranking up the fucking Wurlitzer and blasting out the, the, the racist, not dog whistles, the racist thundering organ recital, uh, that that energized the GOP base. And they turned out in a way that is not characteristic for midterms for the party in power. And that bodes ill for the kind of campaign we're going to have in 2020 when that vile racist demagogue's name is back on the ballot. Right. Well, okay. And so before we get to 2020, we will have, or Democrats will have the House for uh, at least two years. We've talked about the subpoena power they have. We talked about maybe getting to see Trump's tax returns. We've talked about um, the, uh, the, the, the oversight that the Democrats will be able to, um, to wield. Um, Nancy Pelosi uh, looks like she's going to take back the gavel in the House. Um, what should we, what can Democrats do? Um, in this position besides just oversight? Uh, what should we, they do legislatively? Um, she suggested- oh, they should pass they, they should pass minimum wage. They should pass the legalization of recreational marijuana, which is hugely popular with the Dem base and popular with Republicans and independents too. And they should pass uh, voting reforms. Yeah. Uh, Democrats need to make an issue of voter suppression. Democrats need to make an issue of access to the ballot. Yeah. And we should have national reforms, um, and they should be shoved down the throats of shitty fucking states like Georgia and assholes like Kemp should be run out of public life for trying to prevent Americans from voting. Yeah. You know, right, right now we have a system where Republicans win if Republicans cheat. Republicans win if they can prevent people from actually voting. Uh, and it allows them to craft racist policies that appeal just to their white nativist base uh, and a few useful idiots. Uh, around the margins and we have to smash that democrats have to campaign on that and make an issue of that uh, voters of color are paying attention and are watching as their right uh, rights to vote and their access to the ballot is threatened or blocked and democrats are not talking about it at the volume that they need to be talking about it and the leadership needs to be talking about it yeah, it's obscene to me that we had such good turnout in the midterms, 114 million people uh, uh, voted, uh, which broke the expectations of Nate Cohn at um, the New York Times, who's um, uh, and shattered the previous turnout in 2014 of 83 million, and yet still somehow the <laughs> Republicans, through these voter suppression um, tactics, which were incredibly racist in Florida and in Georgia, those robocalls um, against Abrams um, and uh, all of mm -hmm. the, and just the consistent um, uh, anti-black racism coming out of DeSantis' camp in Florida were horrible but uh, effective. But it's important, you know, that we not be demoralized. Yeah. Republicans would be doing a victory dance right now yeah. uh, if this was their result. You know, we took the House. We took a bunch of governor's mansions. We turfed out a bunch of uh, pieces of shit from state legislatures. We flipped a couple of state legislatures. Um, these are good results. You know, we didn't get, you know, the spontaneous orgasm that we all would have received <laughs> had Ted Cruz lost uh, in, in Texas. But nobody would have predicted that uh, a dam would have come as close as uh, as Beto O'Rourke came and forced Republicans to invest in Texas. Right. Uh, so there's all sorts of all sorts of positive signs, and, and we need to not allow the fact that we didn't take the Senate, which was the longest of long shots, uh, and that we didn't re win these marquee races in, in states that have purged voter rolls like Florida and Georgia yeah. and, and enacted really racist. 
um, photosuppression efforts that, that we didn't win in those places where, as I said on the Savage Lovecast, it's not so much a tilted playing field as it is the upside down, which right. is where we're fighting. Right. Uh, and we did really well when you consider we're fighting in a, you know, a nightmarish hellscape, not a tilted playing field, the upside down. <laughs> here, here. I think that just a, a lot of Democrats are A students. And then they looked at last night and was like, we got a B and, <laughs> and are feeling like that, <laughs> feeling that, um, uh, that sort of sad uh, feeling. But, and that's interesting to me because it suggests that there's still like, we got halfway up the mountain and we're trying, we can, we can get to the top. It still, um, keeps fire in the belly, um, to push us through. Tw- to 2020. Speaking of which, did any 2020 candidates jump out at you last night? Uh, now that Beto hasn't won uh, Texas or uh, Gillum won uh, Florida, does that mean that they might have a shot at the, uh, at the at the presidency? Could they win the country but not the state? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold back on that. Yeah, okay. uh, I was hoping that Gillum would win. I think Gillum would be a great presidential candidate. Um, but you got to win one before you can run for president, unless you're Donald Trump, apparently. So maybe the rules should be torn up. And, uh, you know, I was sort of Gillum O'Rourke 2020, um, hoping that Gillum would win and O'Rourke would win or <clears throat> do really well. And, you know, O'Rourke did really well yeah. uh, and, and spoke to uh, a lot of voters outside of Texas. So maybe he created a national platform for himself that can become a national campaign and you don't need to win a Senate seat. Or governor's mansion to be a viable presidential candidate as Donald Trump proved to us all in 2016. Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm worried most about right now, though, is you know our democratic predilection uh, for self demoralization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Dems took the House, but we don't get control of the House till January. So there's not going to be a lot of results. We're not going to see, you know, people are going to be impatient for uh, this new power that is uh, coming to the Dems to be, you know, to, to see evidence of it. And we're not going to actually see evidence of it until January. Right. So people are going to have to take a fucking chill pill, or if you live in a state with legal marijuana, a great big pot lozenge, uh, and enjoy the holidays. And then come January, we can start landing some punches. That sounds good. Well, speaking of democratic self-flagellation, um, next up we'll talk with uh, Christopher Frizzell and Chase Burns about the story of kink love gone wrong um thanks for talking with us dan my pleasure welcome christopher to blabbermouth hi rich good morning how are you i'm doing well i'm uh have mixed feelings after the um the 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 politics oh rich you always have mixed feelings just focus on dina losing a fourth time oh that's so good that's four times yes thank you john roderick called it on the streets of seattle (laughs) last night right before the results i'm back in my happy place (laughs) boiling with happiness and anger thank you so much you're not more happy about it you've done so much reporting on that race i get part of me can't believe that it's like real you know like i was like wait did that that yeah, he's he's probably going to lose. Six points ahead, and you're like, I don't know if she's going to win. I don't know yet. <laughs> like, like, it. it is crazy <laughs> that I still have this. Th- oh my god. Anyway, anyway. Chase, the, the the part of that laughter was from Chase Burns. Chase, welcome. Hello. 
Are you tired? Are you as tired as I am? I'm 100% tired. <laughs> I'm stumbling all over my words, but I am still ready to talk about um, the tragic death of a, of a kingster, yes. um, Christopher Frizzell. You uh, edited this uh, piece for The Stranger by Daniel... Daniel Villarreal. Daniel Villarreal. Um, and it is, um, uh, not to be too reductive, but um, the, the story of um, a kink community, a small kink family um, that ended uh, tragically. Could you just give us... Uh, an overview sure. of, of what happened. Sure. Well, the story is called Death of a Kingster, and you really should go online and read the whole thing. But it, I have to say it's one of the um, saddest and most disturbing stories I've worked on mm-hmm. in 15 years here at The Stranger. Um, also, not an easy story for us to write and report because there's really two people who knew what exactly happened, and one of them refuses to talk to us, and the other one is dead. So um, that makes it really complicated to report out the story and find the facts. Right. Um, and then there's this additional complication that you mentioned, which is that it has to do with several overlapping kink subcultures, one of which feels like it's never been portrayed in the press fairly, and another of which is illegal because it involves body modification through injecting silicone into your body. So, um, Okay, so let's talk about the, that first um, uh, subject. What kink community has it been um, uh, really – uh, talked about in the press so people who are into um power dynamics dom sub bdsm things like that mm-hmm. um at the story at the center of the story is um a muscle bear you call i don't know have you heard of muscle i bear? have not heard okay. of muscle, muscle I know bear I've heard of bears. Is, a, is a it's a bear who works out a lot okay <laughs> so it's a hairy guy who has big muscles it's a jacked bear um, jacked bear his name is dylan hafferdipin i believe although i haven't talked to him so i don't know if that's how you say it but um you could name. also call him master dylan which is how he's referred to by his pups so master dylan has a polyamorous relationship with half a dozen submissive gay men Uh um, or pups as he calls them who pledge their allegiance to him they get tattoos saying property of master dylan on their bodies they get tattoos of his his astrological sign which is a taurus symbol um, and they um, pledge seemingly control over literally everything about their bodies and their lives including their salary they hand over to their master and he tells them who they're allowed to be friends with. And actually the contract between him and his pups, or at least the pup in question, says they're not allowed to have friends. And so it's a very, very intense. I've seen some photos online. Um, there, was a, there was a Tumblr that Master Dylan kept up called Noodles and Beef. There was an Instagram. It seemed like they also wanted to kind of look like him a little bit. Were yeah. they all these muscle bears? Yeah. So there is a big online component to this. This is a figure who um, was well-known in the kink community in San Francisco uh-huh. and um, later moved to Seattle with his sort of group of pups. And um, he had something like uh, 60,000 Instagram followers under the handle Noodles and Beef. Uh-huh. And he also had um, a blog that was apparently written or read by millions of people. And he also had a big Tumblr account. Okay, and so within this um, family of yeah. pups, um, so there, there was, was a, a special yeah component. one of these one of these pups just died about two weeks ago mm-hmm. in Seattle. Um, he died from a silicone embolism, which is um, one of the adverse reactions to having silicone pumped into your body that makes it that the FDA has banned it. Basically, if you inject silicone into your body, there is a chance that a piece of that silicone is going to get into your bloodstream. Uh-huh. And if it does, it could block your artery, causing an embolism, and that could kill you. Um, and uh, Embolism to, is your lungs bleeding out, right? Yeah, an embolism is a blocked artery. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So according to the coroner, the, cylinder, the silicone, which was injected into a scrotum, uh-huh. um, causing it to 
you know, be really, really big, like the size of two dodgeballs. Apparently, one of the things that a lot of these guys had said online was that they wanted to look like superheroes. Um, they wanted to be as big as possible. They fetishized just bigness. Um, so that included, for some of them, taking steroids. It included, for some of them, $200 every two weeks worth of protein powder. And it included, in some cases, injecting silicone into their scrotums and possibly other places in their body we're not we're not really sure but yeah that led to a viral inflammation in his lungs which led to respiratory distress which led to bleeding in his lungs which killed him does Um, silicone just go into like the sacky part of the ball or does it go into the ball ball well i'm not an expert in this and Uh, honestly it's um something you have to do on the black market it's not licensed and who knows what they did or where it went but they took pictures and sort of posed with their scrotums, sort of artfully hanging out of uh, short uh, shorts, and that was that was that was part artfully of the is a big word, but yes, they did pose with their scrotums on display, and you know they were they, part of it was kind of showing showing themselves on social media as these kind of giant superhero esque. Uh, figures aside from fantasy is there any like other benefits to having giant balls <laughs> like i mean I don't, like i'm just trying to understand this kink like is it like yeah i i honestly was not familiar with this kink before working on the story and i'm quite kink conversant but um yeah i know, don't I, think it's it's not a very popular kink uh-huh. it's pretty localized but um but there are plenty of reports you can read online about trans women uh-huh. using silicone injections to achieve different effects with their body and how dangerous it is uh-huh. um but there aren't very many articles about gay men using silicone so one of the things we were trying to do was also educate people about the risks of this practice and 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 sort of a, a mini little history of a couple people who are also allegedly associated with master dylan who've also died Oh, okay. Um, what happened? Did so there's they also a, so, die from from silicone injections. Yeah. So there's a so um, when this the man who died is named Jack Chapman, but yeah. he had his name legally changed to Tank Hafferdepin, uh-huh. apparently at the wishes of his master. Although we, in our reporting, we haven't found a fact that exactly closes that up or makes that clear. But he had changed his name because it's it appears differently on his death certificate as what his mom, for instance, calls him. Uh-huh. Um, when he died, a lot of people online doing some sleuthing and stuff recalled the death of a guy named Peter Dovac a year ago um, who had also allegedly been pointed to a silicone injector in Southern California by Dylan Hafferdepin. Oh. So um, although that man is also now dead, we did speak to his longtime partner of 12 years who lived they lived together in virginia and that partner told us a story about how his partner who had always wanted silicone injected and his he always said no that's too dangerous we're not doing that uh-huh. then that man's father died and he was in such a state of grief that his partner wanted to do something nice and so he finally said okay you can get the silicone and he went to um california to get the silicone and when it was injected in his body the person who injected it accidentally pumped some right into his bloodstream and he died four days later. So the surviving partner of that guy contacted the authorities in Orange County and said, I have check copy copies of checks that he wrote to him. I know the guy's name of the person who pumped the silicone into him. And um, the authorities in Southern California were interested in pursuing a case of manslaughter against um, the guy who had injected Peter Dovac with silicone. Uh-huh. And a day before authorities were going to charge him with manslaughter, that man killed himself. So you had the guy who died from the silicone in his body. You had the guy who killed himself because he had injected the silicone in the guy's body. And then a year later, you have another guy also connected to Master Dylan, allegedly, who uh, who died from the same cause. And 
there's you know master dylan had written on tumblr he knew it was deadly yeah. he knew it was extremely dangerous and yet he'd also made it very clear that he was in charge of every aspect of jack's life so um, how culpable does this is, dylan seem that is to you? that is a question yeah. that is a question on the table yeah. um and he's moved throughout different scenes right yeah i mean he um from what i understand he used to live in san francisco i heard that it didn't quite go there well and that he was sort of shunned by the community down there yeah we weren't able to report that out because we were more focused on jack chapman pup yeah. tank's death up in seattle but um according to this you know the sleuthing and the and the Tumblr posts and the mm-hmm. tweets and the there's a whole other backstory possibly there that maybe a future reporter could take up. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, he really was like a bit of a celebrity. Like there's video his marriage in San Francisco. There's this huge video of him with Sister Roma, who's essentially a gay celebrity. So he was very, um, very well connected in the gay scene for a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what has the fallout been um, uh, since this uh, the reporting of this story? Yeah, so we're the first place to do a kind of definitive look at all the facts that we could find and j- piece them together to try to get a picture of what may have happened. Yeah. Um, but about 12 hours after our piece came out, um, there was a follow-up on Australian television, a show called Project 10, mm-hmm. where um, the mother of the young man who just died um, she got to confront Master Dylan, who'd flown from Seattle to Australia, apparently, to deliver her son's ashes back to her. And um, you should go watch it. If you read our story online, there's a link to it at the bottom of the story. Uh-huh. Um, it's 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 hard to watch. All right. Well, thanks for telling us this story. The, um, Absolutely. The, the piece... Am I missing anything, Chase? Yeah, no. that, that seems about it. Sometimes it's also like, sometimes it's not just the balls, it's also the like the dick, because there are some, you can't really find images of the actual um, enlarged testicles, um, but you can find pictures of like enlarged penises with silicone in them. Yeah. Um, it's pretty uh, shocking. It's definitely not safe. It's not safe. Don't inject silicone into your body. Is that the response also coming from um, BDSM communities or or other gay communities. Well, mostly the my, the majority of the pushback uh-huh. has been about the um, sense that they feel like once again dom sub relationships are being misinterpreted yeah. and misrepresented, and there are healthy ways to practice a kink where someone really gets off on controlling and someone really gets off on being controlled. There's a great film in Hump about it this year about the kind of um, relief from depression and all kinds of benefits of role play. Um, but in this case, uh, the people who kn- knew what was going on or the close watchers, people, they say this is abuse. They say this crosses the line, that this is not a healthy master-submissive yeah. relationship. And they're trying to explain the difference between a healthy one and an unhealthy one. Mm. And so that's something that our writer tried to do as well. Yeah, and the problem is since they're so underserved as a community with media, they don't really have outlets to be able to get this story the, the attention it deserves. Um, yeah. I, I, this story is, does a really good job of, of showing that you know it's not, it's not a problem with the... Well, it's not a problem with the the master uh, sub player or the pup play. It's a problem with the way that that power was appears to have uh, been used. Yeah. But anyway, you should go read it. It's called Death of a Kingster. Thanks. Yeah, you can read that on the the Stranger. Thanks for joining us uh, today, Christopher. Absolutely, and congratulations on Dino's fourth loss. <laughs> Thank you. It was all uh, my doing. Uh, Chase, always a pleasure. Can we go to sleep now? Yes, we can, <laughs> yes, we can go to sleep. Uh, actually, uh, I'm just getting in that we all have to get iced coffees and uh, wait for more returns to come in. Okay, <laughs> Great. all right. See you there. Yay. All right, bye.
Well, that's it for us. If you have any questions uh, for me, Rich Smith, Eli Sanders, uh, Dan Savage, Chase Burns, or Christopher Frizzell, feel free to call the Blabberphone at 206-302-2063. Let us know how you feel. Also, be sure to visit the Facebook group. It's lively. It's popping. People like to chat on there. We observe it quietly and sometimes jump in. Thanks, as always, to Ahame Faleje Aluo for the music that we use on the show each week and for Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears. <laughs>